You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Clad knows how Throw big your legs up in Joel there. Clad knows how big my head is. Yeah. He, he sat exactly in that chair, right, for for a couple of years. He knows, staring over at me. Joel, you know how big my head is. You have an enormous head, right? It's like a pumpkin on a toothpick. Yeah. He <laughs> bone in front. Yeah. Do you ever? Did you ever catch yourself sometimes when the light just shines just ever so wonderfully of the east? Because you sit here and you're looking at the east. And you see that shining off that brilliant forehead. You're like, oh, my Lord. And the, all the other thing is the wispiness of the hair when the light comes through. Well, you see. that's, that's it's, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like a forest after a forest fire. Yeah. You know, there's only a few left. <laughs> and what I remember, I, you know, I don't know if you guys have the same setup. I'm assuming you do. But, yes. Mark, I sat against kind of like the west wall. Right. And, like, there was all those windows there. And then the sun would come up. You know, we were doing morning radio. I didn't know where I was at because I had just watched like nine innings of the worst baseball of my life the night before with some sort of piggyback rotation with the Rockies. Uh-huh. And then Mike's head, I would always just try to position myself so that I didn't have to stare in the sun because he cast such a large shadow with that giant melon. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah I'm kind of like an eclipse. Yeah. It is. Uh, yeah. I always think of. Uh, yeah. I, it's exactly what you look like. The eclipse. I like it. I like it. Uh, so, Joel, uh, you ready? I mean, college football is – how exciting oh, is this? Oh, man. Dude, I was so I, – I actually hunkered down on Saturday and watched Brock Hewer call that game between Nebraska and uh, and Northwestern. And you, you got to – as a as a CU buff, you got to take a little bit of uh, perverse uh, pleasure in the misery that is Nebraska oh, wait, right sorry, now. Did you say a little bit? <laughs> a lot of it. There's a lot of bit of pleasure there. I shouldn't really say that in my new profession, but boy, I enjoyed that. Their misery is my favorite. Um, that's that's brutal. They were the better team and and lost the game in large part due to the fact that you know I I thought Scott just made an awful decision. Do you know how many onside kicks happened in college football last year when the team had a double digit lead? No, zero. Four. 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 Okay. I mean, it just—it doesn't happen. There was no reason to do that. There was no reason to do that. The only reason you do an on, on you execute an onside kick with a double-digit lead is if it's such an insurmountable lead that it doesn't matter, and you're trying to put it on film for future special teams coaches to have to work on during the course of the week. So it's a time waster for future opponents. That's it. There was no strategic advantage up 11 to go for an onside kick. And I've been a real defender of Scott. I've thought he was a really good coach. But, boy, he, he keeps making some boneheaded decisions. And I'll be the first to tell you right here, when, when you're a, a coach, a head coach, and this is going to lead exactly what we're going to talk uh, about with the Broncos. When you're a head coach, what you see on film, you are either coaching or allowing, period. There's no way around it. Okay, and and when you lose that many close games like Nebraska has, you know, at, at some point it comes back around to the head coach. Joel, I just get the sense that college football has changed so much that Nebraska will never be Nebraska again. You know, I was tweeting about that. I don't know if you saw it, uh, but like I was just sitting there and, and reminiscing about my childhood, sitting in Folsom Field, that great rivalry between Colorado and Nebraska. And I'm, I'm longing for the, the days that Colorado can get back to some semblance of what they were 
you know, back in, in the late 80s and 90s um, and, and early 2000s winning conference championships. But I, I will tell you that, you know, it's, it's even more drastic when you look at Nebraska. When you think about what Nebraska was in the middle of the 90s, 94, 95, 96, 97, I mean, you know, those last few years of Tom Osborne, they were the preeminent program in the country. They were Alabama. Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson and Georgia would have done anything to be Nebraska at that point. And, and then, you know, if you step back and you're like, what happened? Well, they decided to let go of their most natural and storied rivalry in, in order to garner more power in their minds and monetary gain. By rescuing those in the Southwest Conference, like Texas and Texas Tech and Baylor, and they brought Texas aboard, they let go of their every annual, I should say annual game with Oklahoma, and let them go to the South Division of that conference, and they were never the same. They always, Tom Osborne was always upset with what happened with the creation of the Big 12. In fact, an inside story is that the, the Big 8 conference office was always in Kansas City. Um, they used to have this thing called the Bus Riders Tour, with which every SID and coach would get on the bus and they would drive around to each city in the old Big 8, and they would do kind of a, what, what now is media day, but they would do it in every single city. And, and part of the deal with the creation of the Big 12, and I know this is probably too much information, but th- there was a stipulation, a handshake agreement within the creation of that conference that the conference office would stay in Kansas City and not move to Dallas. Guess what happened to the Big 12 conference office and moved to Dallas? Guess what happened with Texas? They garnered more power. They demanded more things. They wanted their own uh, network, and Nebraska finally was like, we are out of here. And when they left and went to the Big Ten, while the Big Ten is financially very secure and a great conference, and there's no doubt it's the second-best conference in the country right now, what happened is Nebraska lost their fertile recruiting ground in the state of Texas. They can't go down and get those kids anymore, and because of that, they have never been quite the same. And you couple that with, you know, egos as an athletic director and you're firing coaches that are winning eight and nine games and that's not good enough. And then all of a sudden you find your, yourself in, in a position where you are now where Scott Frost can win his next, I think, 30 games in a row. And he still wouldn't have as good a record as Bo Polini had at Nebraska. You, you mentioned before you started the CU, you long for the days where CU kind of regains its national prominence. Uh, the likelihood of that happening, especially with the dysfunction that is the, the Pac-12 or the Pac, whatever they want to call it now, that UCLA and USC are gone in Oregon. I guess we're just reverting to the old, you know, Pac-10. Um, mm-hmm. Listen, I, I, I hope that they can. Um, I had a long conversation. I know you guys know Matt McChesney. He's a former teammate of mine and is, has been doing great stuff as, with a strength and conditioning program and center there in, in, in Colorado for high school age kids. And um, he does some media stuff as well. But Matt and I had a long discussion this, this week. And, guys, I think what it comes down to, they're not going to become an elite program or, or the top tier of the Pac-12 by just recruiting the state of Colorado. But that doesn't mean that you can't recruit the state of Colorado, in particular when you look at the line, okay? And, and at the line of scrimmage, the fact of the matter is is that the, the best position group that the state of Colorado produces is offensive linemen, but they don't get them. 
And then where are they weakest? I would argue it's at the line of scrimmage. I think that they've got to do a better job of recruiting those in-state kids at the offensive line position. It does a couple of things. Obviously, it solidifies you, uh, Mark, as you know, on the field. And iron sharpens iron, and you become tougher as a defense, and your front seven becomes tougher. And there's all of those things from a football perspective. But if you step back just from a human perspective, in this day and age of NIL and Transfer Portal, how do you expect to go out and get kids from outside of the state to commit to your program if you're not getting the best kids in your own state to commit to your program? Plus, I would go a step further. In the era of the transfer portal, I believe that you need a, a, a very focused nucleus and core of players on your college football team. Those core players generally, not always, but generally, need to be local players. And the reason is is because they're less likely to transfer than others who might want to go back home or be closer to family or so on and so forth. So those players, that core nucleus of your team, really needs to be local guys that you build around and can try to have some semblance of tradition and pride around as it relates to your program for three, four, and five-year players. Those are things that need to happen at Colorado if they're going to try to climb out of the hole that they've been in. Vizzy with Joel Klatt. He is presented by Audi Flatirons, lead college football analyst for Fox Sports, but a huge Bronco fan, and you've been following everything throughout this uh, this long preseason now that it's finally over, now that we can look forward to an actual game that counts, watch Russell Wilson out there. How do you feel about this team? Are you bullish on them? Are you are you supremely confident? Where would you put your uh, emotional index when it comes to uh, what you're expecting out of the Broncos? I think that you've got to rate it in three categories, okay? I think that you've got to rate NFL franchises in personnel. Well, actually four. Quarterback, personnel, coaching, and ownership. Okay, so let's go through the four. Um, quarterback, I think, is an A right now. I know what we're going to get from Russell Wilson. I, I think that Russell Wilson is going to be really good, energized. I, I think that he is a catalyst to a playoff caliber team. I think that the roster is an A- minus to B+. Plus. I think they're playoff caliber. I said it last year. Um, and, and so the questions for me remain in the, in, in the remaining two categories. I think coaching is a major question mark for the Broncos. We've got a, a guy in Nathaniel Hackett who has no tracker, track record whatsoever and yet has just conducted a training camp as if he's a 10-year vet with three Super Bowls and saying, trust me, I know what I'm doing. That's a huge question mark. I have no idea if Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel Hackett is going to succeed or not. I know the quarterback is. Russell Wilson's going to succeed. That dude's got a track record. This guy knows what he's doing. I don't know about the head coach. Um, and I don't know about that coaching staff. And then as far as the ownership group, guys, that's a work in progress. Right now it seems like there is a lot of cooks in the kitchen. There's, you know, uh, this hire in the executive team and that hire on the executive team, and they're talking about, like, their corporate structure and stadium this and stadium like, hey, listen, man, you can be focused on that all you want. But the bottom line is, is that most professional franchises, not all, but most professional franchises, succeed when there is a singular vision and voice from an ownership perspective. And, and that's certainly what the Denver Broncos had for Pat, with Pat Boland for the majority of my life and why the Broncos were such a successful NFL franchise. And hopefully they can get back to that point where they got that stable ownership group with a singular voice and vision for the success and, and, and fortitude of this franchise.
What are you going to be looking for? You know, you talk about Nathaniel Hackett, and you talk about, uh, I mean, we've all talked about it, right? Uh, guys that are, he's hes called an offense before, but first-time head coach, all the issues that come with being a head coach and managing a football game. What do you need to see, let's call it the first three weeks of the season, as the Broncos are kind of set up with this soft launch, Seattle quarterback issues, Houston quarterback issues, San Francisco, let's face it, quarterback issues. So, You've got this soft launch. What do you need to see out of Nathaniel Hackett when it comes to managing this football team and coaching this football team to give you pause, to give you a little bit of confidence that he's the right choice and that he is, um, you know, that he is going to be okay? Well, there, there's a few different things, uh, Mark. And, and after this style of training camp, you better not roll out there and be sloppy. Um, I think that those controllable penalties are generally what, what can sink a, a a team during the course of the game. You see it every single Sunday. Um, you know, the false starts, the, the formation alignments, the, the little things offside. Those little things, and when you have a soft launch, as you called it, and I think that that's, that's very accurate, you know, those things better not creep up into the first few weeks of the season or else that's, you know, blamed on one guy, and that's Nathaniel Hackett. I think the execution from an urgency standpoint on the offensive side how quick and urgent and, and clean can they execute the details of the system, in particular up front on the offensive line? How is the protect, uh, protection ironing out, uh, in particular with not a lot of uh, reps under their belt as a group in a live game situation? Uh, so all of those, all of those things are what I'm I'm looking at. And and then the last thing would just be like, can this defense be what we've known this defense to be over the last couple of years? I think it's been a top tier defense in the league. They haven't had the quarterback to kind of go, go along with it. So can they be that? And can they still execute at that level? Um, you know, here now with an offensive head coach. Vizzy with Joel Klatt. Joel, you know how I love your, your breakdown of quarterbacks and the arrogance that you bring to the quarterback position. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Well, I, you got to, right? You're right. You know, you're you're just, welcome, you, exactly. So tell me this. How does Russell Wilson take the potential of Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and K.J. Hamler? How does Russell Wilson turn that potential into production? Expectations. I'm talking about not from a production standpoint, but from a picture standpoint. When a wide receiver thinks that he is a better player than the quarterback he plays for, the urgency of expectation for him to produce a clean and timely picture is not there. When the quarterback is a better player and a better leader, a stronger man, if you will, than the wide receiver, then those expectations are there and they are unwavering. I firmly believe that with every fiber of my being on every team in America, your quarterback has got to be the strongest voice in the huddle and generally on the offense. And in large part due to the fact that that wide receivers are, are like children. If you do not put expectations on them, they will do wildly crazy things out there. That picture has got to be clean. It's got to be timely and you better catch the ball or I'm not going to trust you in the future. That's got to be stern. A quarterback has got to be like a father figure to the wide receiver group, and that's what Russell Wilson's got to do for these young guys. That is awesome. That is awesome. That's, see, that's the kind of stuff that makes the ladies in Fort Collins swoon. That gave me a little piss shiver. I got a little nervous. With By the, the way. I was thinking about me in the huddle and Joel just give me the eye. You're calling, uh, <laughs> you're calling what, uh, Penn State and who tomorrow night? 
Purdue. Penn State and Purdue, which means you're going to be at the CU game on Friday. Now look, yes, now I look. cannot wait. I know, you're bringing your boys and everything. But here's the thing. I am calling on the people at CU. Dave Platty, if you're listening. Joel Klatt deserves a video tribute. Yes. Okay. Uh, no. Yes, no, you no. do. Nope. 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 Uh, I am. They, I, we, nope. The, 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 they're honoring Cliff Branch, I believe, on Friday night, which That's fine. is well well deserved. That's fine. Obviously, but you deserve at least a video tribute, and I can. All I'm saying is get highlights from that epic 2003 Rocky Mountain Showdown. CU, CSU, you and Bradley Van Pelt, a game for the ages. I'm looking at the stats right now. You guys combined for 741 yards passing and seven touchdowns. Joel, you're 21 of 34 for 402 yards and four touchdowns. One of those touchdowns as a lightning bolt exploded above the stadium. I am hoping that that is included in the video tribute on Friday, my friend. Mm. I'm just one man just trying to do my part to help the team win. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Don't oh, ever change. Just the, do uh, not, false, do the not, false modesty is just dripping. Do it's beautiful. ever change. Dripping, dripping. That's right. All right. We'll okay. see you up there on I'm, Friday. By way, I'm, sitting by, I'm sitting by Gus right now. He just rolled his eyes at me. <laughs> Give Gus He's my best. He's Russell Wilson. That's my, this is my father figure, by yes, the way. That's right. That's right. He's, he's the one to keep. I can't wait to hear the advice he's been giving you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Thank Bye, you, Joel. Boys. Take care. Hey, have a good one. Joel Clatt, presented by Audi Flatirons. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com. 